This is Clothes Making Mavens, a sewing podcast about handmade fashion. Hey, Helena. Hello, stranger. Hi, it's been so long. How are you? <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm really good, thanks. And yeah, it has been a while. We did take a bit of an unplanned little hiatus there. Well, sort of planned, sort of not. We just got super busy and we're like, yep. Let's put this off for a little while. So maybe no one noticed that we're gone, but we're back. Yes. No, we got, we got a, uh, I got a sweet message from someone on Instagram that asked about us. Oh, good. She said she'd binge, listen to everything. And she's like, is there going to be any more? And I said, yes, there will. Oh, that's really nice to hear, actually. That's great. It was. Yeah. I told her so. Yeah. Yeah. So today we're going to just kind of catch up with uh, life stuff and sewing stuff. And we also have uh, a contribution from our joy correspondent, Hila. So that's coming up. But I think we'll start with a message that we got from Laura, who lives in Sydney, Australia. And she said that she was kind of inspired by what she heard on our last episode when we chatted with psychic sewer Kathleen. So here's Laura. G'day, Laurie and Helena. This is Laura from Sydney, Australia. Firstly, I just want to say I really enjoy your podcasts. Your guests are really fun and interesting and your topics are really relevant and really relatable, especially the stash episode. I just listened to episode 33 with the lovely Kathleen and I just wanted to share with you my feelings about the stash. I've been sewing since I was a young teen and as I'm now 40, you can imagine I have built up quite a stash, especially in recent times with the ease of buying beautiful fabrics and patterns online. I have fabrics that have been in the collection for over a decade. Lately, I've found the biggest problem is what I've started calling stash paralysis. I get into my sewing space and I can't even bring myself to begin a project because there's just too many options to choose from. Plus, not all my projects work out and I suffer from the syndrome of if I don't start it, it can't go wrong. Hey, maybe that's a topic for a future episode. However, I'm happy to report that your episode has galvanized me a bit. I'm not much of a sewing planner, but I went and spent some time pairing fabrics with patterns and packing them into a big zippy bags so that when I can't decide what to do, I can pull out my box of projects and just start something. And my new mantra for the sewing room is just cut the dang fabric already. Thanks again for your podcast and I look forward to the next episode. See ya. Well, that was nice to hear from her and hear how she's inspired because it's great to use a mantra to get inspired or try to find something in the world because I know that I'm struggling with that right now. Like that was, that was really helpful to hear. I have not been sewing lately and she reminded me that I need to just cut the fabric for sure. Just cut the dang fabric already. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Uh, I might I might use a stronger word in there if it were me, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a good one because I, yeah, often we're so paralyzed by that by that idea. Am I cutting out the right pattern for this fabric? Will I, you know, yeah, will I screw it up? It's always better when you just start cutting mm-hmm. and usually it turns out okay. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so you haven't been sewing for a while. I haven't been sewing much for a while either because we've been so busy. So um, you've made a big change in your life. You've got a new new hustle going on. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I just finished life coach training and I'm a certified life and weight coach now. And so I am so excited about this because I get to help people 
really realize their potential and their goals. And um, so if there's something that a person is struggling with and, you know, you you make up stories, you make up um, like excuses and reasons in your mind why you're not getting things done. But it, when you work with a coach, you really can figure out that those are excuses. Like you can see it from a different perspective and it's so valuable. I know that I have just made a ton of changes in my life because of this. And so I got so enthusiastic about it. I went back to school and I got certified. So that's um, con- amazing. Congratulations, Selena. Thank that's, you. that's super cool. So you're working with, are you working with clients now then? Yeah, I am. I'm open for business guys. So if you have, <laughs> if you have any, um, if you have a goal that you're trying to reach or I'm working with a couple clients on weight loss right now. And of course, I don't give a flip what you weigh, but this is really a lot about um, like self-integrity and, and, you know, keeping the promises that we make to ourselves. And this is kind of an interesting thing that I found through the journey is that it's really important that we are making these changes out of love for ourselves. And I know that a lot of diets are like restrictive and you're trying to, um, you're trying to be good or, uh, you need to conform. And this way of losing weight or this way of getting healthier is really, really different from all of that because we get to the causes. I'm not going to give you an action plan. I'm not going to be like, okay, this is what you eat. Mm. We talk about why you have been a lot of times when you're overeating it's not because you're you love yourself you know what i mean like it so we get into that a lot with with my clients and it is really eye opening but but weight or um exercise or whatever it is confidence is a is one that i can work on with you because it's um it's all very similar it's about the beliefs we have about ourselves and the self-talk that we have and mm, the self-talk that that little voice in your head that says stuff like oh you're such an idiot or yes. oh you can never do that or yeah we all have that right yeah yeah so um yeah that's what i am doing now it's really exciting work so my website isn't quite live but it will be the sugaraddictcoach.com mm. i I'm starting with that as a, I'm creating a program about sugar addicts because I was a sugar addict and I think that that's really um, a valuable thing. Like if you can master this one thing, then you can, uh, you can, it's a meta skill that you can use in the rest of your life. And also, I mean, consuming too much sugar affects our health in so many ways, which I really believe Mm. because my husband's diabetic and We've done a lot of research and really see that. So that is what I am going to focus on. I'm creating this great program around that, but I also have the skills to help anyone in life coaching. And I have a lot of different clients that have different issues that they're coming to me with right now. So that isn't all I'm going to be doing, but um, 
But I'm excited right. about that that particular program. You could also be a sewing life coach. So for you, when sure. We, when we lose our sojo, we can say, Helena, what's going on? And yeah, I guess uh, you and I have both kind of gone through that a little bit lately because, well, you've been busy with that. And uh, I had a few major things going on at, at work that um, were taking up all my time. And I sort of forced myself to not sew mm-hmm. because sometimes I use sewing as a way to procrastinate from the things that I know are very important and very urgent and have clear deadlines. But I'm like, oh, but I just got this shirt started. So I should keep sewing until it's done. So I forced myself not to sew, Mm -hmm. um, which was kind of a drag, but I am proud of what I was able to accomplish at work. Um, One of them being, we were talking about this, this idea of, you know, self-confidence and self-doubt. And uh, I traveled to Germany for a conference on podcasting. So it was actually a bunch of scholars who who study podcasting. So it was kind of esoteric. but um, And I proposed a presentation that I was going to give at this conference. And then the conference organizers got back to me and they said, oh, well, that's such a fabulous idea. We want you to give a keynote address. And wow. <laughs> so my immediate reaction was, oh no, what have I done? I can't do a keynote address. Like they're crazy. They don't understand. I'm not. Who am I to give a keynote address kind of thing? So that was a huge kind of self-doubt series of weeks for me, you know, Mm -hmm. leading up to that. And can I do this? And, And especially because it was academics who study this, who are experts in their field. Um, And while I also am an academic podcasting is something that I'm only coming to recently in terms of an area of study. So I felt, you know, I was feeling all kinds of imposter syndrome. They're going to know I'm a fraud, that I don't know what I'm talking about. They'll see right through the things I'm saying and because they know more about this. Anyway, I did it. It went super well. You know, I made a lot of friends and met some colleagues at this conference and it was fantastic. And it was sort of like all of that anxiety and doubt was... uh, Kind of just like, why the hell did I put myself through that, right? Right, yeah. Um, But that was good. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And what else have you been working on at work? Oh, um, so another big thing. I'm just kind of finishing up a research project I've done about women in radio, actually. Um, I interviewed a bunch of women who work in the radio industry in Canada, and I wanted to get their perspective of what it's like being a woman in that industry. Because um, if you think back on most media, whether it's radio, television, you know, newspaper reporters, um, any of the legacy media, you know, obviously they were traditionally dominated by men. And so women had to break into these fields. And my goodness, you think about female sportscasters as a whole other ball of wax. Uh, But I wanted to look at uh, women in radio. And I interviewed, I think about 25 or 30 women who work in radio and created a website so that you can hear their stories. But the other thing I did, which is kind of fun, is uh, I bought an old radio from this, I think it was manufactured in the 60s. And I ripped the guts out of it and put a little mic microcontroller in it and my own files. So what I did was each interview I did with a woman, I assigned that woman to a particular frequency on the radio knob. So uh, if you wanted to hear an interview with woman number four, um, she is at, you know, 106.5 FM. So you tune to that and then you can hear her interview and you can also skip through some of the questions that I asked her in this interactive radio. So that's kind of my wow. fun shtick is, you know, research is one thing, but um disseminating it to the world is usually thought of as something that you 
you know, you write an article in a scholarly journal and nobody ever reads it. It sits on a dusty old shelf somewhere. So I kind of like to do these interactive tactile things. Um, I guess that's not a surprise. I mean, I'm a sewer. I'm a knitter. I love tactile things. So I don't like it when things only exist in the digital realm. So yeah, that was another kind of fun thing that I was working on too. Yeah. Where does that live? What's the website and where does your radio live? Um, the, uh, the project is called Pass the Mic, Women Finding Space on Air. And so the website, I'll link to it in the show notes, but it's passthemic.fcad.ryerson.ca. That's a lot of dots in there. That's uh, my <laughs> university's website, but I can uh-huh. link to it if people are interested. Yeah. And where's the radio? Is it at Ryerson? Oh, and the radio is actually just at my university at the moment, but hopefully I'll uh, find some... Uh, places to exhibit it and travel it around a little bit. Yeah. yeah, that would be great to see. I think it's fascinating. I think it's really important to talk about. And um, I think our listeners are interested in that too. Um, it's valuable research. And you're right that we don't, if we're not reading the peer-reviewed <laughs> research articles in the, the periodicals, then we're not going to get this information. So I love that you're bringing it to us this way. Oh, thanks. That's, yeah. so, that's, well, it's very kind of you to be interested and very sweet of you to say that. So, so thanks. But yeah, well, as I a mean, female podcaster. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like it isn't obvious to our listeners that we're very uh, pro, pro women yeah. on this podcast yes, and pro are. women expressing themselves in any way that they want to and having hopefully no barriers and barriers that do exist being torn down. And yeah. yeah so, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you mentioned before we started recording that, well, A, you haven't been sewing much because you've been very busy, but yeah. that you did have very a couple busy. of fails as well. So what is going on in your sewing life? What's happening? Where are you at with all that? Yeah. So, you know, I love jumpsuits so much. You know, jumpsuits are tricky because you've got a lot of different proportions, right? You have to get the leg, you have to get the, first of all, it's pants, which, you know, mm-hmm. that's already a ball of wax. And then um, you have to get the proportions right with the top. And I, I I think sewing jumpsuits is so valuable for our fitting skills because of all that. But it also makes it just kind of a landmine in it might not go well mm-hmm. because you have so many fitting, um, I don't know, traps that you can fall into. So in I made the... I remember to bring it out. It is Simplicity 1142. And I think it's supposed to be made in a knit. I've got it here right now. No, no, no. It says that it's supposed to be made in cotton. So I made it in this linen, but it was kind of cheap linen. I can't remember where I got it, but I think it was somewhere in the, uh, maybe at the swap meet or something. So it wasn't the nicest linen. You know how cheap linen can sometimes be a little scratchy? Mm -hmm, For sure. Yeah, so I um, lined the top and I, you know, but you for jumpsuits, the fabric that you need has to be substantial. It can't be really thin material because, it, I mean, I personally think I want my bottom covered with a more substantial material. I don't want some flimsy, yeah, you know. That's one of the challenges with jumpsuits is, you know, for bottoms, you want bottom weight, but you also have the top in the same weight. So you have to find that fine balance. Yeah. Yeah. So I lined the top because it was scratchy and it was kind of a, it's a tank top style and I wasn't going to be able to wear anything or I, I imagined myself not wearing anything underneath it. It's hot here. And 
once I got done with that, I mean, the top was so stiff that it wasn't doing the blousey thing that I like. And then, um, and then the other thing with jumpsuits is how do you get into them, right? You have to have an opening big enough to get your whole, the biggest part of your body, your hips, Mm -hmm. um, and your bust all the way through it. And so in this, it's like a crossover back that you can kind of split open Mm -hmm. and then the pants are not fitted. So you've got elastic waist. So no zippers or snaps or anything. Right. Which I thought would be, you know, Mm -hmm. great. Easy peasy. Love those kind of patterns. Yeah. Easy peasy. (laughs) Except that, um, they, the back won't stay closed. So I wanted like a blousey and a blousey, like it's, it's not fitted, but it does have elastic waist. So I wanted the top to be a bit blousey and the bottoms aren't fitted. And when I put that together with my, so a lot of things went wrong here, uh, uh, with my stiffer fabric on the top, it's not blousing like I wanted it Mm -hmm. to. And then without a closure in the back, it's, um, it just separates. Gapes open. Gapes open. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And I figured out a way to close the one side of it, but the other side shows. I don't know if I could sew a snap or a button, but then how am I going to get out of the snap or button? This is directly in the back of my back, right? <laughs> I got to go to the bathroom like 20 times a day. <laughs> and also, really, when I put it on, it was just like, this is a lot of effort for a not, not a killer jumpsuit right. you know what I mean yeah. like it just got to that point where I was like this is not working so but you know what I, I want to point out that I mean Helena you are a fabulous sewer a fantastic talented sewer I've seen you power Thank your way you. through sewing bees and win round after round it's not like you don't have amazing advanced skills in sewing so for people listening even when you're at that level you get these garments that just don't work, right? And I also know that you know oh, yeah. a lot of different ways to to alter the fitting and make alterations. You know, it didn't turn out so well at first, but I'm going to do a few things. And sometimes it's just, it still doesn't turn out, right? Uh-huh. I think this one really helped me learn. This is something that I needed to learn is just to let it go. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone else has this problem, but it's like, no, I'm going to finish this. I bought this fabric. I have put this many hours into it. It's funny how I'm not like this in other parts of my life, but in sewing, <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm going to finish this and I'm going to wear it. And I'm, and I think maybe um, part of it is the pressure of blogging. So I put all this effort into it and I want to get a blog post out of it. And I still might do a blog post about the, the fail of it. Yeah. I think that would be really valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um in the past, I know that I've really pushed through on some projects where I kind of got to the midpoint of it. And I thought, I don't know that I'm going to be wearing this very often. Mm-hmm. A lot of sewing is experimentation, which I love about it. So it's, mm-hmm. that's not a, it's not a bad thing. It's just that I had been pressuring myself to finish it anyway and to make it work, kind of Tim Gunn style. When I, this time I realized I don't need to make this work. It's totally fine. I can... It's wasting fabric, which hurts my heart, but I'm going to recycle the fabric at Mm H&M and, um, and take what I learned. And, and a big part of what I learned is that I don't have to finish everything that I start. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do you have, um, do you ever keep a pile of those? I actually, one time I was so upset with a garment I was sewing and I kind of just threw it in a bag and into a closet, forgot about it for a couple of years, and then was cleaning out my stash closet and was like, oh, 
oh. And I actually pulled it out and finished it off and did a few changes. And I was like, wow, okay, this this turned out okay. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was, or I was able to just kind of come with it with a fresh mind and, and finish it off. So, I, I mean, that could be a possibility too, but if that gets in the way of you just being able to let go when you have to let go, because I think you just have to know yourself and where your mind is and what's going to be best for your sanity. So of throwing it in the bag and dropping it off at recycling at H&M is, is yeah. you know, the best thing, then, then I'm all for that too. Yeah. Well, I have a big pile of things that aren't finished or, and I think that I lost steam on them because I'm not sure that they're going to go well, but mm-hmm. I still, that's, that's kind of where I'm at is, I still hold out hope that I'm going to finish those things. And with this project, I'm like, no, this thing, I am done with this. I'm done trying to make it work. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was my big step, my big leap. Yeah, well, congratulations. <laughs> and then it's out of your brain, out of your mind. It's not yeah. on your lists. It's not weighing on you in any way. Right. It's, it's nice to be able to just do that sometimes. It's a bit yeah, of a minimalist approach, right? Like just, nope, right. move on. <laughs> and, that is, and that is not the way I sew in, in a, any kind of minimalist <laughs> fashion. <laughs> You can see my room right now. And I also had another fail where, I guess, because two in a row, like everyone has fails every once in a while, but two in a row really was sad, where I made this off the shoulder top and it didn't go off the shoulder on me. Like I hadn't made it wide enough and (laughs) it was very, very sad. And the finishing on this, I had just done it so nicely. And that's kind of broke my, what broke my heart is I had finished it with this facing and sewn it so beautifully and added the buttons and I hate to do buttons, but I did them anyway. And then I got it on there and it like, it looks like it's just too wide of a neckline. Oh, it won't go all the way off the shoulder. So, and it's really nice gold knit fabric. Um, Which was Helena? I think that I might have narrower shoulders. Oh, do you than have you narrow do? shoulders? So I, I just, you know, I I don't know why I'm, you know, wanting to put that out there, but I'll give you my address <laughs> okay. if you want. Noted. <laughs> Noted. Noted for sure. Uh, well, I'm sorry to hear you've had some fails, but it's nice to actually be able to to learn something about yourself from them too. Yeah, I mean that the the thing about the sh- the off the shoulder thing, I just should have tried it on earlier. I kind of thought that it. It would have, like, I did try it on, and I was like, oh, this is kind of tight, but, you know, it's a knit, so it's going to be okay. But no, no, no. Once I put that facing on there, ah, and so the buttons on there, it was stable as anything, and it was not going anywhere, so it was not going over my shoulder anymore. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah, but I did have one, I have sewn one thing successfully lately, which is very exciting. I sewed this McCall's Mm -hmm. 7906. And it's a button front skirt with these huge, deep pleats. And I made it below the knee. And I am just loving that silhouette right now. It's kind of like culottes. And I just love wearing culottes now because it's like a, basically it's like a skirt. It's like a big wide skirt. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and so then I just did make myself a big, big wide skirt and I love it so much. Tuck things into it. With and huge then, pockets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very popular silhouette right now. I know there's the um, the estuary skirt by... I can see her name is her name is Meg. I can see her face. I can't think of her pattern company name, of course, but the estuary skirt, that's that's a fairly recent one and that seems very popular. A big uh, gathered skirt with big pockets and um and the button front too, that seems very, very of the moment as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's really fun to wear. I love wearing it for sure. Did you just sew the button straight on or did you actually make buttonholes? Do you tell? Come on. Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you. I finally figured out how to do buttonholes on my new Bernina, uh-huh. and it's a dream. 
team. Like, oh, what was I, why was I so intimidated by that? I mean, it is, it really does it for you. And I was just so afraid of learning what steps and buttons, because, you know, it's all fancy. The new, the new one is fancy. And so it's not, um, it's so, I guess it's just so different from my old one. Like I, I went from all metal electronic or it's called electric, actually. Sorry, not electronic. Right. Electric. electric. <laughs> it's a different thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's very. It's <laughs> electric like, is plug-in, but it's still all very mechanical, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Very mechanical to this um, newfangled one. And I took a class on it, but uh, my buttonholes didn't work in the class. And I think that really made my confidence shaky as that I could ever do buttons. If I couldn't do them in the class, buttonholes. Mm-hmm. If I couldn't do it in the class, then how could I ever figure this out at home? Just such a silly thing. Uh, because I did figure it out. And they make it very, they actually have on the screen a tutorial. Like on the sewing machine, there's a tutorial. <laughs> it walks you through yes. it. Amazing. <laughs> so I don't know where my um, my problem with that was. Because it, Yeah. You should see my buttonholes. I'll, I'll put a picture in the show notes. I'm very proud of them. Okay, yeah. Whole I want to see unbuttons. all of those working buttonholes down the front of your skirt. Totally. <laughs> very proud. But you know what? I think I know where your fear was coming from on that because, so I have uh, two sewing machines, one serger. So the one the sewing machine that I use most often is uh, a Singer electric. It's an all metal, like if you drop that on your foot, your foot would have to be amputated kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think it was mm-hmm. from about 19... 19- the early 80s, it was my mom's sewing machine, and it is such a workhorse. It will sew anything, and I almost never have any problems with it. I love that machine. Uh, and I also have a newer electronic machine. I'm not not so keen on it, um, but the newer one has the automatic button holder, so the attachment where you stick the button in, and so it knows exactly how big that button is and yes. how to, you know, and you just mm-hmm. dial the electronic dial to whatever shape buttonhole you want, and you hit go, and you just you know, cross your arms and watch it do it. And so when it works, it's great. But that's the caveat is that there's always seems to be with these automatic buttonholers, like just a situation where, you know, it's worked six times in a row and you go to do the seventh button and it just loses its mind (laughs) and nothing's working anymore. And you've got this rat's nest of, of thread. And that's the worst because picking out a tightly sewn little buttonhole is yeah. The worst. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, I mean, it just seems to be like a ghost in the machine, right? You just kind of never know when those automatic button holders will work like a dream or not. Yeah, and I, I think that's part of it is I had that problem with my other, I had an, a brother that I used just for buttonholes for a while because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like using that machine. I used my old machine for everything except for the buttonholes. Um, and that's exactly how it worked. It was like sometimes it wouldn't work and sometimes it would. Yeah. And I was afraid of the new machine because... Of the temperamental. Yeah. But it seems that it's good. It seems that I would view on what will make it throw a fit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. So that is really important, I think, is if you know where you maybe went wrong. Because I feel like before it was like it was a ghost in the machine. And I didn't know what had gone wrong and how to troubleshoot. And it was just like, hit or miss. Let's pray to the (laughs) buttonhole gods. Yeah. You know what else I feel about about that about is is bowling I don't know if you ever bowl but I sometimes me and my friends go bowling mm-hmm. and 
I'll whip that ball down the lane and get a strike and I'll just be on fire. And then the next time I go, I'm guttering it every time. And I have no idea what I'm doing differently at all. So that's a similar bowling and buttonholing. That is funny. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. You're totally parallel. So what have you been sewing lately? Um, well, if you recall many episodes ago, uh, we met Melanie from Following the Thread, oh, yeah. and she was just starting out with this idea of the literary sewing circle. So we have, and I say we, it's kind of open to everyone, and ca- everyone because this happens online. Uh, Melanie will just announce a new book and say, this is what we're reading. And then Melanie, who is a librarian, a professional librarian, uh, is just an amazing leader of, of these uh, read-alongs and sew-alongs. So we read the book, we discuss the book, we get inspired by the book in terms of fabric or garments and and sew something uh and so I sewed I'll explain a little more about the literary sewing circle in a minute but the thing that I sewed was uh, a new pattern by Jali mm-hmm. uh, I know we're talking about Jali a lot here I'm a huge fan of Canadian company from Quebec and they I just love their drafting and they make uh, fairly simple designs, but there's always a little, a little something, a little extra detail that makes it super cool. Uh, so the Rachel, it's a top and a dress, and it's no different. Amazing drafting. Uh, it's basically a fairly fitted knit top or dress that has a built-in uh, sash around the front of the waist. So you can do either sort of a sewn in sash. So it looks almost like there's a belt there, but there's no extra little bits like belt ends hanging down. Oh, uh-huh. uh, that's the version I made. Or you can do it with actual ties that go around the whole waist or just tie in the front. Um, and it's got a cut on cap sleeve option or a long sleeve option. And it's a it's a banger. Oh my goodness. It's such a great pattern. And I'm sure listeners have seen people making it on Instagram and on blogs and whatever. And it's yeah. really flattering. It's such a cute design and super, super easy, like two pattern pieces, the front and the back. The front is just an unusual shape in that you have to kind of gather this sash thing together um, and and then sew it into the, the side edge. But it's wonderful. I'm just over the moon about that pattern. So we'll link up to it in the the show notes. Yeah. So it has a a little waist definition. Is that what that sash does? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm into that now. Mm -hmm. And Barbara Imodi, uh, who we haven't talked to for a while, I'll have to get her back in on the the next. uh, In fact, I was just thinking about her as we were talking about buttonholes. I was thinking if Barbara was here, she'd probably know exactly why the buttonhole goes wrong. I'm sure she would. (laughs) She would. So we'll have to note to self, we'll ask her about that next time we talk to her. But um, she also made this Jelly Rachel, and she talked on her post about it, how she's uh, a little self-conscious of her belly. And so am I, because I've put on weight in my belly area over the past year or two. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she said she didn't think she would like this pattern at first because there is a sash in the belly and that she feels like any ties or extra things around the belly just draws attention to it. But in this case, it's it does the opposite. I felt like a million bucks wearing this thing. And yeah. yeah. Good. Oh, I have to try it. I have to try it. Well, I did see your version on Instagram and I loved it. And that fabric. Oh, such thanks. a good color blue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll post a link. It's a beautiful Asian inspired fabric. But so, yeah, I'm going to tell you more about the book we read. But first, I think, why don't we go to Hila's segment? So yes. our joy correspondent, Hila Wheeling from Saturday Night Stitch. 
Hillis' segment is on the joy of micromastery. And I think it's really appropriate because we're coming up to the end of the year with all of its attendant stresses and holiday preparation and all of that stuff. So uh, we can get overwhelmed. And so Kayla has some advice about that. Let's hear from her. When time is limited and family commitments and life take over, it can be easy to feel overwhelmed with all the aspects of sewing. So I think about things like, oh, fabric I'd love to turn into this vision, or the sewing pattern that could be amazing with the linen in my fabric collection, blog posts to write, podcasts to make, sewing cues to manage. Should I start a new project or should I complete a UFO? There are so many blueprint classes to watch. And it's in this haze that I discovered the beauty and the joy of micro mastery. Hi, my name is Hila and I blog over at Saturday Night Stitch. And for today's contribution, I am talking about the joy of micro mastery. Micro mastery is working to develop competence in a single concrete skill. Tahir Shah and Robert Twigger coined the term when they published their book called Micro Mastery, Learn Small, Learn Fast and Unlock Your Potential to Achieve Anything. Micro Mastery isn't about spending 10,000 hours to become an expert on anything. For me particularly, it's sewing. It requires a smaller commitment. I thought about applying micromastery to my sewing as I was feeling overwhelmed with everything that I wanted to do and achieve within sewing. And I found that one thing I decided to micromaster was the art of sewing a button. Now call me crazy, I never actually stopped to learn how to sew a button. It was something that I had been taught at some point in my childhood. There is no specific memory that I can remember, but I just always thought, oh, I do know how to sew a button. This seemed like a good starting point as one of the key tenets of micro mastery is that you choose a simple and repeatable task. Sewing a button with the care and precision as prescribed by Claire Schaefer in her Couture Sewing Skills book, made me feel accomplished. Being absorbed in that made me feel very calm. Which brings us to the work of celebrated psychologist Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who called this a flow state. A flow state is a mode in which people are so involved in an activity that nothing else seems to matter. And flow is the way that many of us played as children, effortlessly mindful and engaged. And so in an era of endless distraction, a flow experience has been shown to improve focus and to decrease anxiety. Lately, when I have been sewing my buttons, according to Claire Schaefer, using a single weight waxed thread and making a waist knot, bringing the needle out of the button location and taking several tiny stitches in place to secure the thread so that you can strengthen the base for the button, I have been experiencing an incredible amount of satisfaction and joy at being able to do this one single task 
completely to the best of my ability. Initially, it did take longer. There were plenty of mistakes, but I have been getting better at it. And I like that I can only commit a small amount of time to it. And it's a very small and finite task that I can do, which fits in with my busy lifestyle at the moment. And so that's the joy of micro mastery. And I think it's definitely one of those things that you can apply to just about anything in life. But when you apply it to sewing, oh, there is a plethora of things that you could do. You could focus on your hand sewing. You could focus on making your collars or your buttonholes or even just getting to understand your sewing machine better. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll pass you back to Laurie and Helena. Bye. Thanks, Gila. So that was so inspiring to me, especially with, like I said, my big dry spell and my fails. I thought that focusing on just sewing a button is really inspiring. Like it, it might be a really great way for me to dip my toe back into sewing and, and feel some mastery again, you know, after having those fails. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I love the idea of the tiny little task that you can, it's really, it's a form of mindfulness. Yes. Uh, You know, you've heard of mindfulness and this idea that we try to live in the moment and not get, you know, overwhelmed by what we should be doing and all the extra things and what's going to happen in the future. And so just focusing on a tiny little thing like sewing a button or sewing one stitch perfectly, I, I can see where that can become very calming. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because my nephew asked me to sew a button onto his shirt. He's like, oh, Lori, my, this, I need a repair. And he just, it was a button. And I sort of looked at him like, dude, it's a button. Like, you don't need to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, here's the needle, figure it out. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting how she mentions in there that she never really thought about, well, how do you sew a button properly? And there actually is. You know, you're supposed to have some space between the button and the fabric. So some people will sew yeah. it on with I've a, never thought about it either. Yeah, so I've there's, never thought about it. There's a mastery to sewing an actual button on, mm-hmm. and it's it's nice to to look at it that way, which just fits in really nicely with the literary sewing circle. Yes. Uh, because the book that we read for this last round was called A Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Ozeki. Mm-hmm. And it's about, there's basically two main characters. One is a, a teenager in Japan named Nao, and a writer in Western Canada, in British Columbia. She lives in a remote island off the coast of British Columbia, and her name is Ruth, which is the same name as the actual author. So there's definitely some autobiographical features there. And she's a writer. And Ruth, when she goes down to the beach one day, finds a package that's washed up. Um, The trajectory of the currents in the Pacific go from Japan to the coast of BC and that which was a big problem after the, the nuclear meltdown in mm. Japan a few oh, years yeah. ago, right? Because there was lots of radiation kind of coming across. But And so lots of detritus also was washing up on the West Coasts uh, from Japan. So anyway, in the story, she finds a package and it's Nao's diary. So it's this uh, Japanese teenager's diary. And she has a suicidal father and she's getting horribly bullied at school. And she ends up going to spend time with her great-grandmother, who is a Buddhist priest. So she goes to a temple in the, in the countryside in Japan and learns a, a bit about 
Buddhism and, you know, kind of helps t- helps her take control of her life. And so it was a wonderful book to read. I, I highly recommend it. I ended up sewing uh, the Rachel Top with an Asian-style jersey print. It had koi fish and and chrysanthemums. And, you know, I'm a sucker for anything that I looks know. Japanese or Chinese. You didn't need a book. I know. You I did d- not need a book for an excuse. <laughs> yes, but thank you to Melanie for proposing this book because I'm like, yes, I'm going to sew something that looks like it could be Japanese. So one of the things that Melanie does really well with this literary sewing circle is she writes a lot of posts that get us to think about and discuss the book. And she wrote a post about the author who is herself. So Ruth Ozeki is also a, a Buddhist priest. Oh. And yeah, yeah, so she talks about sewing, the relationship of sewing in Buddhism. Uh, there is a garment called the Rakusu, which it's not really a garment. It's more like a bib worn around the neck. And it's something that people who want to become Buddhist priests need to hand sew as part of their, they've sewed it in preparation for getting their precepts, their Buddhist precepts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I actually just want to read you a little quick thing about sewing this garment. Oh, goody. Yeah, and we can post a link to this as well. Uh, so this is one of the very first Zen Buddhist sewing teachers, Tomo Katagiri, talking about the importance of sewing practice. And I think, okay, so if you're wondering, oh my gosh, what is she going on about Buddhism here for? But I think this applies to all of us as sewists, yeah. and especially to this micromastery thing. Uh, so she says, through sewing, you learn a lot about the Dharma, Buddha's teaching. It's not just sewing. One stitch, tiny stitch. When you think how many yards you will sew, chanting the Buddha's name with every stitch, if you count all the stitches, you say, I can't do it. But if you do this stitch, this one stitch, one stitch, one stitch continuously, you will finish. If you stop, if you quit, even if you're very good at stitching, you will never finish. Just continue. Just cut the dying fabric already. That's right. (laughs) No, that's not part of the quote. (laughs) But so when you continue with the stitching, you will have many problems, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. a lot of hand stitching and you're going to drive yourself crazy maybe. But then you gain experience and that is your life. You can learn about oneness, just chanting refuge in the Buddha with every stitch and your life, that is Dharma stitching. Deep. Uh, There are so many parallels to life coaching. That I am seeing there too. Yeah. Um, Obviously the mindfulness, because in life coaching, we really focus on awareness because you can't change things if you're trying to, trying to stuff it down or trying to um, turn a blind, blind eye to it. Uh But, um, but also the fact that there's only a present moment is a really important concept to actually feel to actually really understand because it can really set you free from a lot of the things that you carry with you from the past and, and things you even carry with you that you hope for, for the future, or you Mm -hmm. hope to avoid in the future. So I, I love that quote and I love how we could use our sewing to create a mindfulness practice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and especially hand stitching, of course, but even just getting in the flow of the whole process of sewing, even if it's by machine, you know, Hila mentioned flow as well, where we're just feeling completely consumed and in the moment we're just 
happy with what we're doing uh, and feeling great about that, you're in the flow. We've all felt that. I mean, I think that's a lot of sewers talk about that. Oh, I do this because it takes me out of my everyday life and I can forget about everything else and just get into the flow. And that's, that's a fairly, um, you know, mindful, you could, many names, right? Right. Uh, I'm sure it's part of Buddhist practice. I don't know a lot about that, but certainly mindfulness. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's just, it's just kind of the same thing under a, a lot of different names, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. I love that. So she, Melanie picks books that have some sewing involved usually? No, not necessarily. So there was not any sewing per se in this book, but but Melanie drew our attention to the connection between becoming I a Buddhist see. priest and this practice of having to hand stitch your own rakusu okay. as part of that process. So yeah, so that wasn't actually in the book, but okay. it, you know, it actually was... Um, uh, really interesting and really interesting addition to reading the book. So I highly recommend this book. We'll link to it. We'll also link to the posts in the literary sewing circle because I know there's listeners out there who are who love to read books too. And uh, this is this is a, the combining of two of my favorite passions, sewing and, and reading together. And it's really nice to read a book and think about ways it can inspire your sewing. So we did uh, another book. It was Something Wicked This Way Comes by right. Ray Bradbury mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And I was just inspired by the description of a stormy sky. And I put together an outfit that had a swirly gray pattern with a purple dress. And it was kind of the description of the stormy sky. So yeah, it's, a, it's, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it was just what I needed, just what I needed to, to break this dry spell of sewing. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. I am, I think I'm going to take the micromastery concept, especially with the new sewing machine, because she mentions that in her, her correspondence, she said, you know, mastering your machine is a micromastery. And I think that that would be really great for me. It would give me confidence and and I did buy this machine for a reason. I am fascinated with all the things it can do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that, that that is a good path for me I'm excited about. Yeah, and you can even break it down further than that. So instead of thinking of it as mastering your machine, you know, go even more micro and just say, okay, well, I'm going to, this week I'm going to master this particular foot on this yes. machine. Mm-hmm. Or just this one procedure or something like that. And then you can... I like doing that. I like breaking down things pretty small because then you can feel that sense of accomplishment that you, yes. or even just like being able to cross it off the list. If you've made a list, mm-hmm. it's like check, mission accomplished. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's very true. I should do that. I don't know all what the machine does. So it'll actually be, I bet it'll be inspiring to make that list and see what I can learn. Oh yeah. Great idea. Yeah. This was very fun. I'm so glad to get all caught up with you and and our listeners too. Thanks for being patient with us while we were gone. <laughs> we appreciate yeah. it. And part of the reason why we took a break is we had a bit of a dry spell with ideas too. And we would love to get your ideas. If you've got something you'd like to hear about or something that inspires you, please pass it along. So we are on Instagram. Uh, go ahead and follow us. Follow us at Clothes Making Mavens. And you can go to our website, we're clothesmakingmavens.com. And, you know, both of our blogs. So yeah. I'm grayallday.com and Lori is frivolous at last.com. And you can contact both of us there. Oh, and don't forget our little Facebook group now that, yeah, uh, we also that have our friend group. Amy Tute set, set up for us, which was really nice. Uh huh. And, and we do, we do talk. 
uh, in there and that does give us ideas. So that's really valuable. You can, I think you can search up. I'm pretty sure it's called Close Making Mavens Discussion Group. Group. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, we'll link to that in our notes as well. So if you're on Facebook and you'd like to, to chat about sewing there, you can join that group. And yeah, that's um, we would we would love to hear any ideas or people you'd like us to interview or concepts that you'd like us to explore. We'd, uh, we'd love to hear from you about that. Yes, thank you. Great to talk to you, Helena. So hopefully it won't be so long next time. No, I am going to talk to you and tell you all about my micro mastery next month. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> I'll hold you to it. I'll be your, I'll be your accountability. That's a big thing in the life coaching thing too, right? Is the having accountability on your goals? Uh, no, you want to be accountable oh. to yourself. <laughs> okay. I want you to be accountable Only to, to yourself. yourself. Okay. So that's a topic for another, another episode then we'll save that one. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you have a great day, Helena. Great you to talk too. to you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Clothes Making Mavens podcast. For more information and more episodes, visit clothesmakingmavens.com. We would love to hear from you. You'll find options for sending us an email, leaving a comment, or even a voicemail on clothesmakingmavens.com. Hope to hear from you soon, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.